prayer tonight, but let's just pray for a moment. Yes. Lord, cleanse your vessel for this night. May all that I say and all of our discussion and all of our thoughts and all of our hearts be pure before you. May what we do be acceptable in your sight. We wait upon you, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, what's so special about the Gospels? Well, the teacher's coming out of me now. I'm starting to laugh. I'm starting with questions to you. What's so special about the Gospels? Jesus. Okay, well, that's pretty good. That's, that's, that's a pretty good answer. But you know, Jesus, Romans is about Jesus, too. Hebrews is about Jesus. Uh, Get a little more specific. Does it show his authority? I knew one of you was going to come up with that. They do. They, they, they do. They're eyewitnesses. Here we have the actual account of the incarnation of Jesus, but given to us by those first witnesses, and given to us for the purpose of bringing us face to face with him. So they're, they're, they're written, remember, every one of them in its total, totality, and in every passage of every one of them, they have two purposes, which are one, really. To know what are those two purposes? Who Jesus is. Who Jesus is and... Jesus and, follow and what it means to follow him, or it's an invitation to follow him, and the two are together. I mean, the Gospels, in a sense, explain to us about following Jesus, but that's not what I'm saying. It's not that they're a handbook to tell us how. They actually draw us in to follow Him. Truly reading the Gospel with acceptance and embracing it draws you in and, and with faith brings you to Jesus and brings you to be His disciples. And so that's what they are. They are, they are unique. It is there. You know, that I'm hungry and thirsty to read the Gospels, to read all of Scripture. But there's an attraction and a drawing there because there's where we meet him and there's where we, 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 come, we come to know him better. I mean, in one sense, all of the Bible helps us to know him better, but here in a very direct sense. And um, uh, there are distinct movements in the Gospels as we are drawn nearer to Christ and brought more in confrontation with him and learn more and... and, and Follow him more thoroughly with the disciples. Because we identify with those people in the Gospels that, uh, particularly the disciples, other people as well who come to Jesus. As they come to faith and believe and as they come to understand him better, we join with them. Now, unfortunately, too much of the church of Jesus Christ today, and I'm not just talking about Baptist friend, I'm talking about us too. Too much of the Church of Jesus Christ. We are glad to have a Baptist here. It's always good. Keeps you honest. <laughs> but uh, I mean, keeps us honest. What I meant to say, you know, your being keeps us honest. Always good. Um, but um, by the way, I was baptized by immersion as an unprofessional faith. Just so. Uh, um, but um, yeah, why did I do all that? I just that mess. But. Um, too much, too much of, of us act. Too much of the church acts like the gospel ends. The gospel of Mark ends at three thirteen. What do I mean? 
Amen. Too much of the church acts like all that matters is you start following Jesus. The disciples have started following him. Your people have begun to follow him. But they've got a long way to go in terms of grasping who he is and the depth, and along with that, the depth and commitment of their following. Now, and so these, if you have your sheep, a friend, did you get another one? Uh, there's one back there, but I got an extra here. But I don't teach. No. Nope, that's no, no. no one's here. Yeah. I knew that from my place. I don't need yeah. it. So. You like to use round one? No, I use round one. There you are. You'll notice where the, the section here that's, that's uh, removing false answers to, to the question. The one question, the two come together, who do you say that I am? Because in answering that question rightly, you cannot answer it rightly unless you follow. And as you follow, you will be able to answer it better. The person who refuses to follow will not have any deeper understanding into who Jesus is. It's that stop. It's it. It's it. If you refuse to follow. But as you follow, you're able to understand. And as you grasp more who he is, you're able to follow. And so today, then, this, I mean, this evening, beginning, we have quite a bit of Mark to cover. Uh, but it, from 3.13 through 8.21, two different sections. It's under removing false answers. They're two closely related sections. Uh, 3.13 through 6.6 begins with Jesus doing what? Jesus choosing the 12. And it's very important. He chooses them to be with him and to send them out to preach. Now then, the second of these two sections, which begins at 6, verse 6, or 6, verse 7, 6, six B, Jesus involves the 12 in his ministry, begins with him sending them out. And so that's anticipated in the first. They're very closely related sections, but they are different. And each of them, after that initial event, after Jesus calls the 12 in chapter um, 3, verse 13, and after he sends them out in chapter 6, verse 6, we get two answers, two false, two pairs of answers to the question, who is he? Who do you say that I am? Two pairs of answers. They're false answers. They're, they're wrong answers. They lead in the wrong way. And as we move through this section with the disciples, they come to understand him better, both intellectually and personally, as they see these wrong answers dispersed and shown to be wrong as they are. Um, but here are the other possible answers for who Jesus are. Then we're going to get, then we get the gospel gets to the right answer. So this first one, this first section, I've told it Jesus introduces the twelve to his person, receptive disciples. He now chooses the twelve and turns to focus on them. And they are going to see manifestations of who he is that the person who has not followed him will never see. They have to follow before you see. Are you with me? <laughs> now, at the beginning, we have the Pharisees from Jerusalem and his family. If you'll scan down there, let's see, after... I've got to get the right place myself. Um, I'm trying to look cool using this iPad. I'd be better up here if I had it with my bike. <laughs> <laughs> I used to chuckle. My father, who died in 96 and 
and a half. He was particular about adding a half onto it. He died Christmas morning, 2015. But he carried his Samsung tablet to church every Sunday and read his Bible on it. So he was just showing off. <laughs> now I'm doing the same thing. No. Um, okay, we have the first answer. Um, Jesus has called them through verse 19 of chapter 6, actually. Then um, from verses 20 through 35 of chapter 6, we have the first two answers. It's kind of mixed up. You have his family, then you have the Pharisees from Jerusalem, then you have his family again. What answers do they propose to who Jesus is? One was John Baptist. No, not yet. That's in the second pair, not this pair. Okay, the Pharisees from Jerusalem say he's, 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 he's uh, possessed by a devil. He's under Beelzebub, he above the head of the devils. That's why he's casting out these evil spirits. What is what does his family say? He's going crazy. He's out of his mind. So we have these first two answers. We've already seen that Jesus put the Pharisees in a bind. Because here he is. He's absolutely pure. He's not doing anything evil. Everything is totally good that he does. And he's doing things like telling this, like healing people all over the place, casting out. He has power over evil spirits. One of the hardest things for them to understand was his power over the evil spirits. And, and, and yet he, he claims to be able to forgive sin. He claims to be do what only God can do. So he puts them in a bind. They either have to accept his claim or the only way to deny it, you can't say he's just a bad man. He's not. Is to, to do what they do. Say he's doing this by the power of demons. And by Beelzebub, he, since he has the power of the head of the demons, he can throw out the junior demons if he wants to. That's what they're... That's the ridiculous, Jesus shows how ridiculous that is. If that's going on, it's ain't done for. <laughs> you know, he's out of here. And it doesn't make any sense at all in light of how Jesus is living and what he is doing. But that, are you with me? That's their answer. And his family, though, they came as he's beside himself. They wanted to pull him aside. Now let's look. These are the people who are, the, who are um, most intimate with Jesus in the sense that his family is right there with him. And the Jewish rulers are confronted with him. He is confronting their, with their belief. You know, so they've got, they're the ones that have to deal with him directly. And here's the answers they give. Now the answers are both um, self-referential. That is, why is his family doing this? Well, they're afraid Jesus is getting carried away with things that they're going to get a bad name. You know, they couldn't just keep him back in Capernaum to, to make their own, their own little healing ministry. You know, uh, he, he said he came to preach everywhere, so he's going all around stirring up things like this. You know, and if I can just hear him talking. If, if he keeps this up, he's going to get himself in trouble. You know, the Pharisees are going to be after Somebody's going to be after him. He's getting himself in trouble, and then he's going to get us in trouble and ruin our family name, and who knows what will happen and so we got to take care of our name and our reputation and not get ourselves in trouble. He's put his head out too high. So he's beside himself. We're going to take him in hand and deal with him. Are you with me? You know, I don't want to extrapolate too much for our current situation, but there are times when um, um, people don't want to be radically committed to Jesus because it may get out of hand. Mm. Mm. Or if you're radically committed to it, 
they may try to tone you in. How many people's family members have tried to tone them in because they were they were radically um, committed to Jesus? One of my best friends had that. You know, his, his mama was scared of what's happening to him, and so he got home, and his uncle was there. Um, but um, here, they're trying to take, and, and we know, the Pharisees know, if, if they admit he's God, if they admit he has that authority to forgive sins, their authority is done. You know, then they've got to they've got to follow him. They 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 perceive that much clearly. So both these answers are self-referential, and they're the people, his family who's close to him. Now, at the end of this section, it's very interesting. I do want to point these verses out. Uh, in 31 through 35, after we have the Pharisees thing, his mother and his brothers come, and they're they're calling for him to come out. And Jesus says, Jesus says to the people. And he answered them, who, verse 33, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Um, so we learned that, that, you know, the true essence of discipleship here is not being a religious person or Pharisee. The true essence of following Jesus is not being a blood relative of his. Luke makes this Luke makes this so clear. You know, Luke is, we have the, the, the Annunciation from Mary, and we have that wonderful obedience from Mary when the angel speaks to her with all the difficulty it brings. She says, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be unto me according to your word. And but Luke is the one that records the woman who says to Jesus, Well, blessed are the breasts that gave you suck and the womb that bore you. And Jesus says, No, brother, blessed is the one who hears the word of God. Does it? And so here we have that clarification as they, they come to him. But then in the following section, eventually we're going to see, see these false answers demonstrated to be so wrong. But before that, in chapter 4, um, Jesus, uh, I'm not going to be able to talk about all this, the parables in chapter 4, but we'll talk about the parable of the sower. Jesus tells this important parable of the sower. You're all familiar with it. And he comes at a very key time. He's chosen the twelve. They're following him. And it is a parable about discipleship. It's a parable, really, we should call it the parable of the soils. For he's saying to them, okay, you're following me. What kind of follower are you going to be? Here's what happens. I'm sowing. I'm the sower who sows the seed. But... And, and it, it progresses through life. You know, the, the stones, it springs up quickly. We've all known people like that who came to Christ all enthusiastic. Sometimes they were all taken up in prophecy or something else. All enthusiastic, but it doesn't take very long. Shine goes off of it, and they're gone. That's the beginning of the Christian life. Most of us have gone way beyond that. But the next stage is the long-term the long-term uh, problem with the thorns and the thistles that grow up, the cares of this life. Now, of course, some of them we can dispense with altogether. We don't have to mess with it. But we do live in this world. So we do have to make a living. We do have to deal with the cares of this life. You do have to think about retirement. You do have to think about educating your children. You do have to think about putting food on the table and all that sort of stuff. That's, those kind of things are there. Um, but yet, Jesus, so Jesus warns, but they're those for whom all the things of this world, bad things, but good things, but even necessary things, 
can so dominate their lives that they squeeze out the gospel. Um, and that is the more long-term danger that most of us have to look for. So Jesus is saying, now you're following me, don't be a flash in the pan. Are you, are you, going, to, are you going to be a flash in the pan? Or, you know, on a long-term basis, watch out, you're following me. In Matthew, of course, he says, um, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's the same idea that's here, put in a different way. But So, um, don't let those things... And then, of course, there's the good soil that brings forth fruit. Is that what you want to be? Is that what you're going to be? So, here at the beginning, he presents them clear with the challenge. Now, you're following me, but it's here it is. And, and so first there is, it's, it's very deliberate here. The disciples have just been chosen. They're following him. And so this is given to him and given to the disciples. We begin to follow Jesus. Are, are you with me? Can't see you coming glasses. Yes. Are you yes, with sir. me? Yes, sir. <laughs> then, but then we move on. And now we come to... Um, I hate to skip all those other parables, but I'm going to go to 435. Now we come to a series of events in which Jesus reveals his power and who he is to these disciples in a way that no outsider ever saw. The, the crowds are not seeing what's going on here. In 30, in, in verses chapter 3, verses 35 through 41, what happens? He commands the elements. He commands the elements. He calms the sea. They're crossing the sea. A great storm. Of course, he's asleep. They wake him up. He says, where is your faith? And stands up and says, well, I guess he stands up. I don't know what it says then. He says, peace be still. And the water stop. And the disciples say, who then is this? Who do you say tonight? Who then is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. Remember, in the synagogue, it was, he teaches with authority, and even the evil spirits are subject to him. Now, you, you have to read all of the gospel with the Old Testament background ringing in your mind or your ears, or, or, you know, because from the Old Testament, who is the one who rules the sea? God. Yahweh, the God of Israel. He, is. he alone rules the sea. Nobody else rules the sea. He rules the elements. And so... When Jesus, again, when Jesus says this, it's not just he's done something marvelous. He's done with a word. He comes, you know, there's some movie coming out I saw about, I saw something about where supposedly we've got all these satellites and there are no more natural weather disasters. We've taken over the weather. Of course, you can imagine what happens if human beings run the weather. I mean, somebody takes it over about the earth is about to be destroyed. But, uh, but here, Jesus does what only with a word. Not with a series of satellites. With the word, he stops it, and and so, so so stops the so they're they're beginning. Who is this? Two hands, two feet, two eyes, and nose, a mouth. But he's done something again that only God can do, and you can just feel, you know, through this. These are all experienced. Well, not all of them, but some of them were experienced sailors. You know, the awesomeness of this. I, you can just feel the hair still standing up on the back of their neck. You get to chapter 5, verse 1. And where are they in 5 1? I was so mean to Addison today, I wouldn't let him read that common English version. Part of that is because 
I have not really read that version. I don't know what it's like. <laughs> we got to talk later. But anyway, uh, we'll, we'll give you a try, Adam. If you, I would really only stop and read chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, the whole thing. This is the one passage we're going to read tonight. 5, 1, 1 to 20. And get a sense of where this place is, what the obstacles are, and the things that show the greatness of Jesus' power. Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs. This man lived among the tombs, and no one was ever strong enough to restrain him, even with a chain. He had been secured many times with leg irons and chains, but he broke the chains and smashed the leg irons. No one was tough enough to control him. Night and day in the tombs and the hills, he would howl and cut himself with stones. When, they, when he saw Jesus from far away, he ran and knelt before him, shouting, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. He said this because Jesus had already commanded him, Unclean spirit, come out of the man. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He responded, Legion is my name, because we are many. They pleaded with Jesus not to send, him, not to send them out of that region. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. Send us into the pigs, they begged. Let us go into the pigs. Jesus gave them permission, so the unclean spirits left the man and went into the pigs. Then the herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. Those who tended the pigs ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside. People came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who used to be demon-possessed. They saw the very man who had been filled with so many demons sitting there fully dressed and completely sane, and they were filled with awe. Those who had actually seen what had happened to the demon-possessed man told the others about the pigs. Then they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. While he was climbing into the boat, the one who had been demon-possessed pleaded with Jesus to let him come along as one of his disciples. But Jesus wouldn't allow it. Go home to your own people. The disciples have just been on the Sea of Galilee. You know, the Sea of... Uh, our brother here was just visiting um, uh, the Sea of Galilee. It's down in the low area, and it's subject to winds coming down and, and really stirring it up uh, tremendously on short notice. And they just come through one of those things, and the hair is standing on the back of their necks, and they step on the shore here at Gadara. People aren't quite sure how to say the name of this place. Um, and actually, geographers aren't quite sure exactly where it is. And I don't think that's a problem. Because this is supposed to be an eerie, surreal event. Now, just, just understand it for the disciples. First of all, this is Gentile territory. This is on what today would be the, the uh, well, what was it? It was, the, it was the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee then, too. <laughs> so don't think, don't think, on the Palestinian, more the Palestinian side of things. Uh, but... Um, but um, uh, this, was, this was Gentile territory. It was not their home turf. Furthermore, it was a graveyard. What did that mean to the, to the Jews? Unclean. Unclean. Anything here. So this was, this was surreal to them. They're not where they were used to being. was out of their element altogether. They were in, why in the world did Jesus want to go to this Gentile territory any more than we know and so the Gentile territory, it was uh, uh, 
uh, a, a cemetery, therefore it was unclean for Jews. And you know, later on we find out there, there are a herd of 2,000 pigs there. Now that's not maybe a problem for you or me. You know, I do like my ham and my sausage and my everything else that comes from a pig. Well, not everything, I'm not a chip guy. But, <laughs> but um, you know, but you know, of course in the Old Testament law that's unclean. And it's, it's, it's actually a revulsion to a pig, to a Jew. If you can think of the thing, something that would, you would, you could just not stand to put in your mouth. There would be a total revulsion to you. That's how they felt about pigs. And it was completely un unclean. So you've got this place to them, it's Gentile, it's a graveyard, there are pigs running around or there. Um, and, and then you've got this wild man who, you know, he's demon possessed. Nobody can control him. He runs around, he's self-destructive. That's Satan's normal plan. You know, people think Satan is going to give them something good. He's out to destroy them. Absolutely. That's, that's his plan from the from get-go. He's cutting himself. He's unrestrained. Nobody dares come near him. He's wild running around there. And that's where the disciples are coming. It's like, you know what, this is, this is weird. This is, this is uh, strange. This is uh, uh, surreal to us. I keep using that word. It seems to fit. Um, and here, here they are. are. Are you with me? Yes, sir. And you see, what I want to point out is Jesus is not in the synagogue in Capernaum. He was in God's house when he cast out that evil spirit in Capernaum. And they were all in awe about what he did. He's not there. He's in the devil's country. He's far away from God's country if you want to look at it that way. He's far away from the holy people and holy sinners. He's in a very ungodly, unclean, unwholesome uh, place that his disciples have no desire to be in. They want to be as far away from here as they can. He's on an away mission. And here he is. And what happens? You know, this man, as wild as he is, what happens when Jesus puts his foot on the shore? The man runs up and falls down in front of Jesus. Who ran up and fell down in front of Jesus? Legion. The man who nobody could control. <laughs> nobody could catch. Nobody could control. Who broke the shackles. Who tore everything apart. Who would beat you up if you came there. You know, you better run away. He, he'll, he'll, make, he'll, he'll maul you. Oh, Jesus steps on the shore. And he comes and runs, not away from him, but to him. And falls down at his feet. You see, I have some justification for talking about the authority of Jesus in, in the book of Mark. Everything indicates Jesus' complete authority over this man yeah. and over these demons. From beginning to end, he falls down. He, the demons, you know, you never, it's the man talking and the demons talking. It's all mixed up. That's the way it is. And some, uh, like, the demons are trying to destroy him. That's the way it is. Um, um, and, 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 you know, he has, he beg, they beg Jesus. They admit who he is. You know, son of the Most High God. Um, uh, Most High is a common way of referring to the God of Israel by Gentiles in Scripture. So, you know, by non-Jews. So here he's, you know, he, 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 he admits who Jesus is. What do you got to do with me? Please don't, please, 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 please don't send me out of here. Send us out of here. Um, and and then, of course, they have to beg Jesus or plead with Jesus, as that person says. There are three pleadings in this text. The demoniac pleads with Jesus. The people 
plead for him to go away and the, the man he'll please to be his disciple. But they, he has to plead with Jesus to let them go in. The, Jesus says, well, uh, what's your name? Now, in, 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 in the Bible, to name or to have the right to demand somebody give you their name is to have authority over So again, that demonstrates Jesus' authority. What's your name? The guy has to tell him, the legion, because we're many. And um, so, of course, Jesus gives him the permission. Um, now, when I was a kid, it's one of these passages I used to have a little problem with because, I mean, okay, they're unclean and all that. But Jesus destroyed a lot of property here. You know, and, and you know, the few times I destroyed some kind of property, nothing like this. Uh, but, you know, most of us as kids did something. Uh, don't look so innocent. Um, but, but um, you know, I got in trouble. I got in trouble. Jesus did this and didn't get in trouble. I used to struggle with that. But you have to understand what's going on here. Jesus totally cleanses the place. And, and the, the driving out of the pigs are, they not only run clean, but they're going down in, into the into the uh, water and drowning is a visible expression of how powerful the demons were. There's a whole thousands of pigs here. How powerful the demons were, and therefore how powerful Jesus was, because he cleaned the place up and they're gone. And so it's very, it's, that whole thing is very important in, in this system. Now Jesus then demonstrates that as God, he has absolute power over the demons. Do you remember what those false answers were at the beginning of this section? He's out of his mind. And, and he's possessed by the demons. He's operating by Beelzebul. And that translation did it quite well, but in the more traditional translations, when, the, when Jesus was finished with the man, he was sitting and clothed, and in his right mind, Jesus is the... So far from being insane, he is the author of sanity. It is the devil. I'm not saying that that everybody who has a mental problem is because of their own sin. Don't misunderstand me. But it is the devil that's the author of insanity. He's the one that wants to promote it. In one series of books by Richard White, a Canadian Christian writer, he's written a fantasy book called the uh, Anthropos Chronicles. One of, the, one of the names for Satan is the Lord Lunacy. Um, and he is, but Jesus is the one whose business is to restore. So by the time you get here, those answers that the Pharisees or his family gave look so absolutely ridiculous. He's demonstrated his deity. Now, he returns, of course, to the other side. We won't, and oh, man, you know, See what time to see how much. You're fine. Yeah. Um, uh, the man wants to go. The people, why do they want Jesus to go away? Well, you know, they went and got him because they were responsible for these pigs. And so they wanted, they wanted to see the demoniac healed so they believed the story about what happened to the pigs. You know, it's an insurance question. So they've got a better witness. And why do they beg Jesus to go? They don't care two spits about this man who is a demoniac. He's not on their radar. They, they care about their property. 
And if Jesus has just lost cost of 2,000 pigs, what else might happen to cost them something? And so they don't want anything to do it because he might cost them something. Yeah, if you follow Jesus, wow. it will cost you something. You know, you depending on where you are and who you are. But if when he's central, other things all have their relative, their their other place. So, um, you know, they're afraid of him. They may think of him as some magician. Please leave. They don't dare force him to leave because if he can do this, you you get you make him mad. I'll tell him what'll happen around him, and that's their attitude. You know. Um, so they, they beg him, they beg him to go. And of course, Jesus sends the man back to bear witness, and he does throughout the ten cities to his to his friends. But then, then the disciples they return to Jewish territory, and um, in this section there are uh, two more significant miracles that Jesus does. They're interwoven, of course. When he gets back, he's met by Jairus from the synagogue. And, you know, my daughter is sick. How many of you have daughters? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I've had, I have three, but I've had a small daughter who couldn't even speak and was sick. This girl's 12 years old. But you know how you feel if one of your, if your daughter gets sick. Um, you know, I'd rather take it on myself. I'd do anything. You know, you know, just let me be sick. Yeah. You know, just, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know how it is. So he comes and he's pleading with Jesus. She's his only daughter. And Jesus starts to go, but he gets delayed. By what does he get delayed? The woman with the issue of blood. What was her problem? What was her problem? She doesn't been all kind of doctors and everything. Nobody could help her. Yeah, right. But hemorrhage. Hemorrhage, she kept, no doubt, no doubt it's something like continual menstrual bleeding. But, you know, what did that do to her life? Unclean. Well, she could never go to the synagogue. Mm-hmm. She, anything she sat on, if anybody else sat, it was unclean. Anybody else who sat on it would be unclean. Any food she prepared for her husband was unclean. You ate it, it was unclean. I mean, this is more than a little physical problem and pain. This really ostracizes her from society. It's bad. And she's probably not letting, part of the reason she's not letting know anybody in the crowd because if anybody touches her in the crowd, they're going to be unclean from this issue of blood that she has. So she comes up and gets a hold of Jesus, the hem of his garment, and you know, of course, what happens. He turns around and says, who touched me? And Peter said, Lord, everybody's banging you in the crowd. He says, no, 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 Peter, that's not what I mean. Somebody touched me in faith and something happened to me. Mm. And she comes and confesses. And you know, Jesus said to that paralytic son, Your sins have forgiven you. This is the other one in this gospel. He says to her daughter, What a word for Jesus to say to her. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, she demonstrates Jesus' power, his authority. That is true. But she also demonstrates at the end of this section. You know, Jesus called him to repent and believe the gospel. She helps us at the end of this section. She is the example of faith in Christ for us to follow. She is the one who in simple faith grabs hold of him and receives. And so that is the encouragement for us as we move through the gospels. This is the kind of person we should be. By the way, guys, you know, I'm sorry. I really am. 
but the women in the Gospels tend to be the best. <laughs> There's this woman and the woman who pours out of Jesus' feet. If you, if you had to choose anybody who wanted to be in the Gospel, yeah. if you're going to make choice, choose one of them. You know, that's, 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 those, those are the people who really exemplify faith. But she does that, but in the meantime, of course, this also is going, is, is going to hype what Jesus does here because in the meantime, you know, Jairus gets a message from home. They didn't text me to him in those days. They had to come and tell him. They said, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter has died. How his heart must have fallen. It's like, oh, if this woman had not got in the way, this, what, you know, she's the one. She's sleeping. And you know, little girl, get up. And she got up, give her some food. You know what he did. Now this again demonstrates, again, so the session, the, the, the big thing with the, the, um, the demoniac is a direct answer to those questions that were raised at the beginning, to those answers to the question. So far from Jesus being insane or from him being possessed by Beelzebub, he is the absolute Lord who throws out all the devils and all their evil and the author of sanity. But now here we see it, can, it confirms, it ends with Jesus is the Lord of life. And there is only one person who is the Lord of life and death. There's only one. The Lord God is the, is the, is the one who has the power of life and death in his hands. Again, Jesus is doing what only God can do. He doesn't say in anybody else's name. Even a Christian through whom God heals does it in Jesus' name. He doesn't have to do that or anything else. He just says, little girl, get up. And you know when God speaks, it happens. And so here we are, you know, we've come, we've seen the disciples, now, even the woman. The crowds didn't, Jesus, of course, didn't let anybody go into the little girl except Peter, James, and John. But even the woman, you have to realize the crowds don't see that. How could, she's in the midst of the crowd, but she does it secretly. And it's a little circle talking around Jesus. The crowds don't see anything happen. You know, these are things that Jesus shows to his disciples. When you begin to follow, you then you begin to grasp who he is and grasp the sense of his power. Now, in this next section, which is closely related, beginning here in chapters uh, 6, verse 6, Jesus sends them out again. He gives them authority over evil spirits. That's very particularly said that they're sent out to, to preach and so forth. And then we have two more answers given. Oops, my thing is going off here. We're now checking. Um, Of course, in this section, I should have said it ends in Mark 6, 1 to 6, with Jesus back in his hometown, his hometown rejection. Again, we're he emphasizes that it is not what, what we begin with. It's not being part of Jesus' family. <coughs> we thought he was out of his mind, and they're a little embarrassed by it. It's a person who does the will of God, uh, and that, that, that uh, is the one who is his true disciple. The, the previous section ended with the Pharisees and the Herodians plotting to kill him. This one ends with people in his hometown rejecting him. But then he sends them out, beginning in chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Um, 
And then, um, to, to tell the people to repent, they cast out many demons and so forth. They anointed people with oil to heal them. They didn't do it like Jesus did. And they operated in his power. But then we have, my Bible entitles it, the death of John the Baptist. But what we have in verses 14 uh, through 29 is of, of chapter um, 6 is two more answers, the next pair of wrong answers. What are this next pair of wrong answers? John the Baptist and Elias. Well, some said, you know. John um, the Baptist was risen from the dead. Right, some said he's Elijah, one of the other prophets. It's, it's, uh, or he's like one of the prophets of old. Some said that, and some said he's John the Baptist, come back, come back to life. Now, of course, the whole idea is when John the Baptist was here, he didn't do miracles. But because he died, he's come back to life. Now he's doing these miracles. That's why he's doing it. And old Herod, this is, this is popular idea. But old Herod, which one did he espouse? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. You know, again, these are, for him particularly, it's self-referential. You know, he's, he's the one. And we're told this whole story about John the Baptist and his death. Um, and that's to prepare us for Jesus' death. Because remember, John's the one who comes to prepare for Jesus. If this happens to John, what's going to happen? And actually, the to Jesus, and actually the charge of blasphemy that the Pharisees brought before is a capital offense. And we saw in chapter three, one to six, they're plotting to kill him. So this is one more harbinger, one more anticipation. Mark goes into great detail here about what happened to John the Baptist, but uh, in this explanation of, of Herod's, but. Uh, anticipating Jesus' death, but you know, Herod, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, I've called it the secular answer there, I almost called it the superstitious answer, Amen. but if the Jewish one was the religious officials, now you have Herod, the civil, a civil ruler, and, um, but you know, it may be salving his conscience, look, I killed John the Baptist, but you know, I, I'm really responsible for this, if I hadn't killed John the Baptist, this guy wouldn't be doing all these miracles, <clears throat> I mean, it's quite self-justifying for him. And then the crowds, they're the spectators. You know, somebody, some people just kind of try to stay away from Christ and be respected. They like to see nice big things, but they don't want to get involved. And what the crowds, the crowds remind me, and I want you to know, I have never picked up and read a National Enquirer. Never. Yeah. But I see them going out the grocery store, and what these other people said kind of sounds like some of the stuff that's in that. You know, he's not... They're, they're just trying to figure out something. It's a popular answer out there. Well, not quite as dramatically, but we'll see from this section also that these answers are insufficient. Because immediately, one of the differences, the disciples are still, Jesus is still revealing to him them his great power and authority. But one of the differences now is that they participate in it. They're not only seeing it, it's going through them. So he sends them out to preach, and actually in Jesus' name, they're able to cast out evil spirits. By healing, by anointing in Jesus' name, they are able to heal. Jesus is working through them. They're experiencing it in that way. And then they experience it in this great feeding of the 5,000. And everybody's together. <clears throat> They've been there a long time. And... Um, uh, the disciples come and say, hey, these people are hungry, but send them away. We need to send them away, Jesus, so they can get something to eat. And Jesus looks at them and says, you give them something to eat. 
Uh, what, what did you say, Lord? Would you like to say that again? Um, you know, five loaves and two fish. And we have Jesus multiplying. Now, this becomes quite clear in the Gospel of John, but it's implied even here. Again, you have to hear the Old Testament background. Who fed Israel manna in the wilderness? Jesus is doing again what Yahweh in the Old Testament did. He is feeding the people of God in the wilderness. And he's, he's making it clear. Jesus is not a new Moses. Jesus is Yahweh. He is the God of Israel. And come in the person of his son, and he's demonstrating that by feeding them. And after that, as you know, he sends them off in the boat, and then he comes walking on the water after them. He looks out, he's praying on the mountain, he looks out and sees they're struggling. So he comes walking across the Sea of Galilee. And what do they think? think I don't blame them for what they thought. They said, what would you think? You see some human figure looking figure coming walking on the water. You know, most of us would spook out somehow or another, whatever we said. Um, and, and, and however ashamed we were of what we thought the next day, we would still, uh, and, and they think he's a ghost, and it's very interesting because it said he was, he was going to pass them by. Mm. Now there's, there's, a, there's an echo here. God passed Moses by on the mountain so mm. Moses could see his heart. See him from behind. God passed Elijah by on the mountain. The very Jesus passing them by re-echoes that from the Old Testament. He is revealing to them his deity. And as he comes walking on the water, and then they, of course, cry out, and he says, don't be afraid, it's I. And he gets in the boat, and everything is calm again. He's already calmed the storm. But again, the Old Testament is full of it. The Psalms are full of it. Who walks on the clouds? Who walks on the water? Yahweh, the God of Israel. So Jesus is showing them again his authority over and over that he is God. But it says at the end of that, their hearts were hardened because they didn't understand about the loaves. They didn't get that it demonstrated who Jesus was God. And one of the distinct things of this section is that Jesus is showing his power, if anything, in a mightier way. You know, now it's focused on the elements here, in a mightier way. And yet the point is, the disciples aren't getting it. And so, I, I, I don't know about you, well, I can look at times in my life and walk with the Lord and I look back and I think, I wasn't getting it. But also, you've got to realize what they're trying to get. This is the God-man. There's never been anything like this before and will never be again. This is the one who is fully human, but is acting like God because he's also 100% God. And actually, to work out that formula in its fullness, it takes the church several hundred years. <laughs> and, and nobody, as I said before, can really understand it. What it. All we can do is we know when we believe it, everything else works. He's fully our Savior. And if we don't believe it, if we mess it up, then it messes up salvation and everything else. Mm -hmm. And what we can do, we can't penetrate the mystery, but we can worship in awe at the mystery. You, you understand, don't you? Mm -hmm. Let me just throw this in here a minute. If anybody tells you they understand God, don't believe it. You know, God has revealed himself. 
we know truly things about him. But he's the infinite God. No possible finite mind can ever now or in eternity comprehend him. And we bow before him in worship because he's revealed his graciousness, but we also bow before him because we, we understand his, that, that he is far beyond our comprehension. Yes. So we can never put him in a box and describe him. We can learn to speak rightly about him. That's what he's done in revealing himself. And he's made it clear that saying some things is to speak wrongly about him. But we can never put him in a box and say, we got it, you know, I know, I know about God now. I've, I've, I've got him down there. Um, and so here, you know, Jesus, but they're wrestling with this. How can this be? And so we see them um, um, struggling with this. Are, are you with me? Then, then we have, and Jesus, of course, when he comes back, he heals all these sick people in Genesaree too. That's kind of the icing on the cake after these other things that other people do. To see him then. Then we have a, another section here in chapter 7, kind of parallel to parables in the previous section, um, because Jesus, the Pharisees come in again, but it's all an argument about purity. It starts with, why don't your disciples wash their hands and go through the ritual purity when they come, when they eat and do all these kind of things. And, and um, uh, Jesus, of course, castigates them. He says, they say, why don't your disciples follow the tradition, uh, the traditions of the fathers? And he goes ahead and shows them and says, you have used your traditions to disobey God. And he gives them one example there, the issue of Corban, Corban, where they had developed a tradition that actually enabled people to justify disobeying God. But that's not the first or the last time that's ever been done. Um, and, you know, we human beings are most excellent rationalizers of what we want to do. And, and you know, one of the, the main things in following Jesus is humble honesty and repentance and openness that we don't seek to justify, um, so justify so easily ourselves in what, what we want to do. But then he goes on um, to teach True purity. What is true purity? Is it all? Is it the washing of the hands and of dishes? We're not talking about sanitation. We're talking about purity. And Jesus, Jesus says, you know, uh, and the disciples again. The disciples don't seem to get what he said. It's like what? And Jesus says, "Are you dense?" You know, part of the problem with the disciples is they're not understanding even the parables. Jesus says, if you really follow me, you'll understand. They don't quite understand. They're struggling with this. Jesus says, are you dense? He said, it's not what goes in the mouth. He defiles a person. It's not if you put a piece of ham in the mouth. He defiles a person. It's what comes out of the mouth. Mm -hmm. What comes out of the heart. Not what goes in the stomach. What comes out of the heart. He says, don't you understand what goes in the stomach passes through you and it's gone. But what comes out of the heart um, that defiles as adultery, fornication, greed, lasciviousness, uh, envy, all, all, of, all of this kind of stuff is what, and so by that he declared all foods clean. That's why we can eat cake. Yeah, but anyway, no, all <laughs> foods clean. But here he's, they're, they're walking with him, they're not getting it. They're not coming through with it. You, you follow me there? Mm -hmm. And then, then we have a series of, of miracles, too, particularly in chapter um, 
7, beginning with verse 24, the Syrophoenician woman's faith, and then in verse 31, the, the, the deaf and dumb man in the area, back in the area of the ten cities, or the decapitalism. Now, Jesus is far away now. Syrophoenician, all the way up in Tyre, what's today in Lebanon? He's, uh, um, he's, he's far in Tyre in sight, up there in what's today Lebanon. He's far away, and he's trying to get a little privacy. And this non-Jewish woman finds him. And, and she says her daughter's got an evil spirit, unclean spirit, please cast him out. And what's Jesus say? Yeah, he says, I can't take the children's food and give it to the dogs. I mean, what he's saying is, of course, I'm, I can't take what I'm giving to the Jewish people and give it to you. Well, that's the implication. And it's said in a very, I mean, it, it doesn't sound good to us. Boy, <laughs> the ancient theories, and in lots of the world today, I mean, when I lived in Africa, if I called somebody a dog, oh my goodness, I would have been in trouble, in bad trouble. Um, you know, it's a bad insult. Um, and so it's quite strong. So what's the point? The point is the faith of this Gentile woman. That's the point. And then you go to the man in the Decapolis, and again, he's a deaf mute. This is a Gentile area. Jesus is not back. It's, it's in the same area that he sent the demoniac to go preach in. He's not back there. He's there. Uh, and they bring him this man. And Jesus does do a little object lesson with this one, you know, putting his fingers and ears and stuff. Um, tells it to be open. And the guy speaks. And he hears. And Jesus tells them to tell no one. But the more he said something, the more they talked about it. Um, <laughs> and look, you know, the disciples have hardened hearts. But in verse 37, these people say, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. What's going on? We have disciples who have seen so much but can't get their mind around this God-man business. They can't realize the great power of Jesus. And, and yet you have these Gentiles who the Syrophoenician woman who have faith and who believe. And this exposes their seeming hardness of heart, or their hardness of heart. And then you have Jesus feeding the 4,000, and without going into great detail here, um, what this demonstrates is the hardness of the disciples' hearts. Um, you know, Jesus came to the, uh, the disciples went to Jesus before and said, um, send these people away, they're hungry. Jesus said, no, you give them something. This time, Jesus comes to the disciples, you can see it there, um, Jesus calls his disciples to him and says to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? It's like you want to slap them in the face. The one who fed the 5,000 was standing in front of them. And they were there and it happened through them. And they said, how can anybody feed these people as desolate place? <laughs> and so Jesus does a deja vu. He goes through it all again. This time it's, mm -hmm. it's seven loaves and a few small fishes. Seven baskets, although the word for baskets is different. These are bigger baskets. But you have the 12 and the 7, two 
significant biblical numbers. So he goes through the whole thing again. And then the Pharisees come and seek a sign in verse 11. And he says, you know, people are seeking a sign. What kind of sign do you want? He's mm. healing everybody. Mm -hmm. He's out evil spirits. He fed 5,000 people. They don't know it, but he's walked on water. He's done all those kinds. Of After you've done that, what kind of sign will convince anybody? Here's your sign. And, that's, and that's, that's what he's basically saying. No sign's going to be given to you and your generation, your kind, because whatever I do, you're not going to believe it. You know, you've already had it. And then he gets in the boat. Bringing the Pharisees in there is pretty important because he gets in the boat in verse 14, and he's crossing over, and he says to the disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And what did the Pharisees say? They said he has a demon. What did Herod say? Is John the Baptist risen from the dead? Both of them are self-referential, just self-justifying, self-defending. You know, that's that's their their way of approaching it. And and what did the but Jesus uses the word leaven, and the disciples think that he's getting on them because they didn't bring any bread. He just fed 4,000 people. He fed five before. Maybe they thought, well, we don't have any bread. He had to start with five loaves, and we don't even have any. I don't know what they thought. But, I mean, the hardness of their heart is almost unbelievable. And Jesus gets on them. He says, look, look. I, what are you talking about? George, when I, fed, when I had five loaves, how many people did I, did I feed? 5,000. They said, how many baskets did you take up? 12. And then 4,000. How many baskets did you take up? 7. He said, I'm telling you about the teaching of the Pharisees and of Herod. You see, the point is, the disciples are almost as bad as the Pharisees. They were demanding a sign, and Jesus says no sign will be given to you. But the disciples have sunk so low. They have seen all this, but they haven't believed. And they're struggling with who this God-man is. And you wonder if they're going to make it. Are you, are you with me? But I want you to see the magnitude of what they're having to get their mind around. Now, fortunately, you know what happens in, verse, in chapter 8 and a few verses. You know what's going to happen there, Jesus we're going, to, we're going to enter. That's tomorrow morning's topic. But we're going to enter that section, and Jesus is going to ask them, who do people say that I am? And they're going to give answers. And he's going to say, uh, who's you? And we find out finally they are get, finally they're getting the right answer. Uh, but, and then a whole nother issue, probably the most important issue for us to consider is tomorrow morning. The most important thing to bring upon us, but I'll say that. I'll save that for them. But here we see their experience in Jesus' power and coming to understand who He is. And how often in our own lives we may even say we believe Jesus is the Son of God. But do we really believe His power? Do we really trust Him? And I have to say to myself this too. You know, by nature, I'm a worrier. And it was 15, 20 years ago God showed me how sinful that was. And he's helped me greatly with it. But if I run around worrying about things, I may say I believe Jesus is God, but I'm not acting like it. You know, and I'm, I'm acting like he can't handle things. Um, and other areas of our lives as well, when we grasp who he really is, we may say it, but we have to grasp who he really is. Um, 
And then um, tomorrow mornings. Tomorrow is really tomorrow mornings is really the the punchline, the grand finale. And Peter, because after you know, after Peter says you are the Christ, you know what Jesus said. If you have time tonight, you might want to read from eight twenty one through the end of chapter ten, ten fifty two, whatever it is. That's what we'll be focusing on tomorrow. Any any comment or question? Yes. What do you suppose happened? those demons after the pigs, right? I have no idea <laughs> whatsoever. Um, you know, it's very interesting. It's, I'm glad you asked that question because the longer I've walked with the Lord, the longer I've studied the Bible, this is what I've come to. So I'll, I'll tell you this in dealing with things like that. The Bible simply doesn't tell us a lot of things and we simply cannot know them because we're not told. Um, and the whole point of that story, it's not just a story, the whole point of that account is not what happened to the demons, but who Jesus is and his authority. And so it's irrelevant for us to get the point of the story to know. And so we're not, and there are all kinds of things like that in the Bible. There are all kinds of curious things that I would like to know, but we're not told. And I came to realize, you know, we are told what God wants us to know, to know the truth. And our curiosity, not to, to so, so there, there are lots of things that we would love to know, maybe, but, but we don't. And you can say, well, when I get to heaven, well, I'll know them. Actually, to tell you the truth, when we get there, I don't even think I'll remember the question. <laughs> you know, I don't be so unconcerned about those things. You know, it won't matter. But... It, but, you know, anyway, that's the best I can do. Um, any other question or comment? We can sing Father Alone tomorrow. Beg pardon? We can sing Father Alone tomorrow in our song. Okay. We can know all about it. Yeah. You want to sing I will, I will, uh, I've decided to follow Jesus. That's what you want. Yes. Yeah. Stand together, guys. <clears throat> I know we don't, we haven't done it probably this year or whatever, but you need to pray tonight. We'll, we'll keep or Ronnie can keep praying. Often there's chairs.